It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End and do a deeper dive into the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and the Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And a panelist of regulars this week, we have Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. Good to have you, as always. Joe Workmeister, who is a staff writer at uh, Newsday. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning. Thanks for uh, having me back. Absolutely. Good to have you. And Brian Cosgrove, who's the host of the Afternoon Ramble right here at WLIWFM. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. I'm the one, I have not won an award for journalism. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the, only, I'm the only one here who has it. Yes, but you are the most invaluable voice that we have on the East End. So, oh, yes, yes. So we get to keep you in. If you just submit for an award, you'll win something. It's, it's yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Number one in our uh, hearts, Brian. If uh, nothing else. Thank you. So, uh, I thought we'd talk weed to to kick off this week's conversation. Uh, Denise, some some developments up your way in Riverhead, right? Uh, and there's been some conversation about it here in Southampton as well. Maybe, maybe it's more appropriate to look at it as like lack of development, really. Um, we've been wondering here, like when we're going to hear some news about, you know, dispensaries or cafes, as they call them, uh, being located in Riverhead. You know, that news has been trickling out of the state uh, cannabis uh, control board people for a while now. But Mum's been the word, and you know Riverhead Town is one of uh, just a few adopters of um, the uh, legal sale and um, uh, retail of uh, recreational marijuana on Long Island. Um, uh, one of two towns, I think, on the East End, right? We said uh, Riverhead and Southampton. Riverhead and Southampton, I think, yeah. are the only two towns who opted in. Everybody else opted out. Uh, Brookhaven um, opted in and allowed it only in industrial zones, which I thought was a little strange. But um, Riverhead's law, the way it was written, was that it could they could be anywhere that allows retail uses under the zoning code. Um, but then there were all of these restrictions, retail uses, if not within a thousand feet of uh, any residence or any uh, park, playground, daycare center, school, uh, 500 feet of uh, within uh, of a um, house of worship, etc. So um, those restrictions, it turns out, when they're fully laid out accurately on a map of the town, um, according to town officials this week, uh, allow the these uses, which is like the retail dispensary or these marijuana cafes where people can buy marijuana and smoke it on premises, um, are only uh, only would only be allowed in thirty five parcels in the whole town. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that took a lot of people by surprise, and the town's business advisory committee, which is a committee of I don't know, six or eight people um, who are involved in have businesses or involved in businesses or business advocates or business um, 
like a guy from the IDA board is on it. So uh, Chamber of Commerce folks, they are they're asking the town to take another look at that and um, make those restrictions, those carve outs less restrictive because they say that that doesn't, you know, offer enough opportunity for people who want to cite these things. And, um, you know, there was uh, some reluctance in the town, fair to say, about um, among town officials anyway, uh, for adopting adopting this. I mean, the supervisor, uh, a former cop, voted against it. Um, the person who she put in charge of this like marijuana committee, so to speak, um, was uh, Council Member Ken Rothwell, <clears throat> and he um, was against mar. He he voted for this code, but he was he didn't support opting in um, to allow the sale. So. He he like led this committee that crafted this code and stuff, but he was like against it. And um, you have to wonder if uh, what the end result of this was, uh, you know, kind of trickled down from his from his uh, kind of a, opinion about about the use. So I don't I wonder, know, but they're I, they're looking wondered, at it again. I wondered if that would happen. If, you know, there was a lot of. Uh, celebration from a lot of uh parts of the community when the the approvals went through and the state decided to allow recreational sales but it felt like the devil was really going to be in the details and we seemed to see that playing out in southampton and riverhead both because in southampton bill um they had a conversation this week and what i find really fascinating about this it's been uh you know well over a year since the approval, uh, the approvals at the state level, there's still so much unknown yeah. and so much still to be done about setting, I, I, setting the I, parameters. But, but I think this was kind of the expected timeline. I, I think, you know, everybody got excited, you know, when 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 they when you know, when the governor, um, you know, made made cannabis sales and, and and use legal and everybody thought it was going to be an overnight thing and you know you would see all these stores popping up but i think there was significant state legislation and regulations to begin with as far as who could be licensed and and how that was going to work in that whole process and we we talked extensively with you know with proponents of it early on a year or so ago i think we did a podcast um you, you know about it um, and and then you know it was then then the, the towns that that allowed sales are you know had to go through their process. Southampton Town did um, did approve um, their measure um, this this past week's um, stating where where these shops could be, but it was not a unanimous vote on the board. You've still got some opposition. Councilman Rick Martell, who does a lot of work with kids in the community. Um, is still very concerned that you're going to have these shops popping up and and be a danger to uh, you know to to kids and stuff. And they, they mentioned um, you know locations they would be allowed near you know near Carvel and Starbucks and and Hampton Bays and and that um, you know excited some folks that that's too close to where kids are gathering um, and stuff. So there's. I think for a while anyway, there's still going to be some some concerns, but Southampton Town did move forward with, with the legislation. So, I mean, there's a litany of, of locations where it can be, they can't be within 500 feet of, 
feet of, of, of schools and um, community facilities like libraries and parks and public pools and stuff and different zoning designations, um, you know, where where they can be. But I, I think they said at, at the meeting that the town board is still, as the applications come in, the town board is still going to have some leeway in, in saying whether a, a site is, is appropriate or, or not. And, and in certain districts, um, um, you know, high, highway business and shopping center, um, they, they're going to need a special exception permit there. So there's still going to be some oversight. But I, I think it's coming. I, I think it's, you know, it's just... Um, it's got to go through the process, and I've repeated this several times. But you know, I mean, what a when you know one of my favorite uh, Southampton Town supervisors from the past, Skip Heaney, had a saying. He said the government works at, at two speeds: slow and glacial. And and I think that that that's that's true with anything. But but with this, and you know what, I think it's probably good that they're slow and careful and 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 take their time so that you don't have. Um, um, shops popping popping up next to you know schools and daycare centers and 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 all that and and uh, on the other hand though it, it's like you know i mean i guess there's controls on where liquor stores are and stuff too but it seems like that's less of a concern so you know maybe in time and and bars and breweries and bars. i mean I, you know like they they totally ruled out downtown no no dispensaries or cafes on main street a lot of people spoke out against that restriction um at the public hearing and you know they they have this whole you know family friendly atmosphere thing zero tolerance zone um and not on the list of of uses that you cannot have downtown notably or bars and uh breweries you know mm -hmm. i mean so there's some things that are somehow but i mean some people might not consider those things family friendly <laughs> Uses exactly, yeah. but you know, there, there's there's a there's a public perception that uh, the marijuana cafes are going to have to get past jo Joe Workmeister. I I thought Rick Martell, the Southampton Town Councilman, made an interesting point, and it's one we could have seen coming probably, which is Southampton Town opted in, but all of its villages opted out, so that immediately takes almost all of the, the downtown areas out of play, except for places like Hampton Bays. And Rick Martell is, is, a, is a business owner in the middle of Hampton Bays. And so he's obviously wary about that. But this is the, this is the, the problem. It's like I said, I, I think a lot of people felt like uh, a, a lot of folks who were advocates of the recreational use of marijuana being legalized at the state level thought, hey, cross the finish line, got approval, we're done. I think the hard work was really just starting and we're seeing that play out now but in both Riverhead and Southampton. You can have a, a legal use, but with 35 properties only being available to do it in Riverhead and Southampton seems like it's limited there as well. It, it may be a legal use that, that just doesn't get, uh, you, you can't take advantage of. Yeah, as you said, all the villages uh, within within the town of Southampton opted out. So you know, you kind of, you know, you drive in, and you know, you know where's the boundary between you know the village and, and the town? You got to like kind of know where you are, I guess. But um, 
Yeah, as you said, you know, it seems like kind of Hampton Bays would be one sort of obvious spot where some people will look to try to put one of these dispensaries. And, and you know, one of the things they were, you know, some of the um, council members were obviously concerned about is do you overburden one community where, you know, kind of one spot sort of becomes um, a, a hub for this because, you know, that's just is the one spot where um, where they could end up. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting how River and Southampton kind of took different um, um uh, paths toward these where River had really kind of jumped into it right away and Southampton took a little bit more of a patient approach and they were, um, you know, waited until um, there was a report from the state office last October and then um, another report in December and and they were kind of waiting for that to try to get a little more um, guidance to figure out uh, how they were going to um, go about it and, you know, so, you know, hopefully by, you know, taking that you know, time, they, you know, they don't have to kind of circle back now and, and figure out, you know, something that they may have uh, screwed up along the way. But, um, you know, I, I did think it was interesting at the public hearing a few people, uh, you know, a month or so ago when they were talking about this, uh, some people did speak who are hoping to open dispensaries out here. And they seem to be, you know, mostly, um, you know, had positive, um, you know, um, reaction to the, the way the town was, um, what, you know, was um, trying to, carve out uh, some of the restrictions and you know it seemed like they were optimistic that the guidelines w would allow them to you know open in a spot where they would feel uh, comfortable and, and and you know one of the things i remember one of one woman was saying you know where you know they didn't know where to even kind of begin looking for a spot for a dispensary you know until they had these mm -hmm. you know guidelines in place so obviously you know we can't, we can't have a dispensary out here until somebody knows even where they can look to build or um you know, acquire some property to, to, to do it. Sure. And, um, and I think with Southampton too, this, they were really kind of focusing on the uh, dispensaries, but the, the on-site consumption part of it was not, um, I don't think that was actually kind of taken into consideration yet, unless I'm, I'm wrong on that, but I think that's kind of like a, a separate thing they still have to look at, um, if I'm correct there. Do, we, do, you, do you guys think that we're going to see a lot of that, or is it just going to be mostly retail i mean i think the whole idea of having these cafes right. where people could go in and 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 smoke or consume or you know eat edibles or, or whatever it was kind of you know kind of a, a romantic notion you know about legalizing it but is that is that going to be attractive to to a, a lot of i'm curious if that's going to be attractive to a lot of people or if it's just going to be um you know retail sales people going in and and buying stuff and taking it home or or whatever yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think of it almost, I mean, is it going to be kind of like a cigar shop where like some people where they have kind of like little lounges and people like mm. maybe hang out and, you know, that's not a spot necessarily where like you and 10 of your buddies go to hang out to like watch, you know, a baseball game and hang out for three hours. But, you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if it would really be kind of baseball slow enough without. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not anymore, apparently. Uh, yeah, the games are flying now. A little, little better so, than it was. I mean, I've always had some questions about these cafe things because, like, just so we all know that, like, you know, there's like dram shop laws, right? So if somebody's drunk, you can't serve them, right? Right. Um, if, uh, or you're legally liable, the bars, you know, what, how does that work in like a, a marijuana cafe like first of all how do you know people are not coming in with their own pot and smoking that hmm. and how do you control that like I, you know 
I just feel like there's uh, there's a lot of gray area there, and I would be really reluctant to like open up a place like that for those reasons. I mean, I just like how do you I know if somebody's the liabilities falling down? Yeah, like yeah, the liabilities might might make that less attractive. And and I, I've you know. wondered about that from the, from the beginning, honestly. I mean, if I were if I had a vote on on this, I think I would have voted for the retail sale but not the cafes <laughs> I, you know um, as you as you guys are talking about this and, and especially Bill, as you brought up the the retail and i especially since i had a pretty misspent youth myself i think it's vital that they be concerned about children and people underage with marijuana but it, i'm starting to think the business opportunities here would be like uber with a cafe you have to get a ride there and leave with a ride. You can't drive up. How about an adult Carvel? You know, <laughs> I mean, 21 and over. I mean, I know this sounds a little hokey, but, you know, maybe, you know, they should. Yeah, you you put one of these shops next to Carvel, Brian. Carvel's going to see a, an increase in business, right? At a McDonald's or something, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you, you know, know Taco Bell. <laughs> you know, Brian. The other, the other thing here that uh, is sort of the elephant in the room is that while the towns are sort of dithering about this a little bit, and both towns seem like they're hesitant to move forward, in our midst we have the Shinnecock Territory, where yeah. the sales of recreational marijuana have been have been going on now for months. Uh, and, uh, I'm going to be very intrigued. I was thinking about this the other day when, when, when the state first acted to legalize marijuana, I felt like it was everywhere around me in, in town and you could smell it in car. I could smell it. People smoking it while they drove in cars in front of me. You, 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 you know, it, it just seemed to be everywhere briefly and I haven't noticed that, you know, in a while. Summer, and, and I wonder if summer is going to really be a moment where where we see how much traction the legalization of marijuana is going to get on the East End. I think a lot of people are going to come here this summer, and uh, they're going to to be more than happy to take advantage of the new rights that they have to to smoke and and the towns i i feel like the towns are waiting for more direction from the state and they're not going to get that much more i think and and i don't think and and i think the the point's been made that none of the towns are that eager to to see this happen so um it's it's gonna we're we're in an interesting moment where everything is up in the air uh as far as where this is going to go yeah i would i went to a concert recently and had to park way in the back and had to walk through a fairly big parking lot. And there was a few groups of people smoking pot as I was walking by. And it's been a long time for me since I've, and it was very, and I, and I said to somebody with me when we finally got inside, I was said, it smells like, you know, it's very pungent and very like that skunk smell. And they said, well, that's how it all smells now. There are all these different strains, but it sounds, it smells very, so, through the parking lot, like you were saying. And then when I went in, it was like the old days in the 70s and the 80s, went into this theater and people were sneaking it, I guess, because you could smell it in the theater. You know, yeah. it was kind of 
brought me the, back. The the strains of marijuana that they have now are so much stronger than they were uh, 20, 25 years ago. Um, it smells by all terrible, though. It smells <laughs> awful. <laughs> I, I suspect it's a smell we're going to have to get used to, Brian. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Gonna smell a lot more in the in the next couple of years, I think, as the towns are grappling with with how to allow, allow this to happen. So interesting times we live in, no question. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister of Newsday. And Brian Cosgrove of right here at WLIWFM. Uh, and I did want to have a conversation about the Aquatic Center in Montauk. And Joe Workmeister, I think you wrote about this this week, as, as we did as well. Um, that's a project that's been in the conversation for a long time, uh, but it looks like it's actually going to happen. What, what's planned out in Montauk? Why is this a big deal? Yeah, so, you know, kind of, I guess, quick uh, history here, as I learned this week. Um, so the the Montauk Playhouse um, was, dates back, the original Montauk Playhouse dates back to like the 1920s when, um, you know, Carl Fisher, you know, famous um, um, guy out here who was wanted to build Montauk into like the next Miami Beach. And um, so they had the, the Montauk Manor, the big hotel out there, and then the Montauk Playhouse was nearby, and they had this uh, tennis center, and people would come down from the Montauk Manor and play tennis there. And um, so this, I guess, building had fallen into you know, disrepair all these uh, years later. And then in the, uh, I think it was about 1999, it was donated to the town, and the town formed this kind of public-private partnership with this new foundation that started at the same time, and uh, they did some um renovation work around starting around 2003 then a few years later they opened up this new community center which nowadays um, has a few different uh things in there there's like a little gym with uh, basketball courts people play pickleball and there's another um, gym where people can work out and a few different a little town uh, office there um and, and some other stuff but um so the other half of the building uh this big um kind of empty space which is just kind of used for storing some junk here and there as of now they've always wanted to turn that into a pool into an aquatic center and that's kind of always been the dream i guess and um it's been um important because out you're at montauk obviously you're kind of surrounded by water there you're right on the ocean and um, there's really no uh, public pool unless you go a little further into East Hampton. There's a YMCA, which I'm hearing, you know, it's, it's pretty crowded. Um, but other than that, you know, there's not really a lot of options. So if you're a parent, you have a young kid, you want to bring them to swim lessons, uh, you know, where do you go? And, and it's important for, you know, obviously when you're out that close uh, to, to, to water, you know, you want, you want to be able to learn how to swim. It's important, right? And um, so they've had this vision for an aquatic center for all these years and um you know just raising the money for it was a challenge and they were doing it you know kind of uh, you know they were saying with you know big sales and and you know cookie sales to start off and you know it takes a while doing that to, to generate you know the kind of money that you need for this and um so recently they kind of hit a turning point and um the town a few years back had pledged to uh, put in about three million dollars for the project and they upped that um, earlier this year to five million and um now they they feel like they have enough um 
enough money actually raised um, where they're uh, going to go out to bid soon and try to get uh, somebody who's going to now uh, develop this property. They have the plans laid out and uh, they're hoping that uh, they can actually have a groundbreaking in uh, late June, early July. And um, they announced this um, earlier this week and, you know, it seems to be um, kind of a um, pretty, you know, kind of a celebration, I guess, out in Montauk now that this, um, you know, project will uh, actually come to fruition. And the hope is that it'll be, um, well, the plan at least is a, uh, a two-floor um, uh, center. So the uh, pool of the aquatic center would be on the first floor and then uh, that would be phase one. And then they would do a phase two, a uh, second floor be kind of like a community center space where they can, you know, people can gather different activities and, um, you know, the supervisor is saying, you know, out there, if they want to do they, you know, the biggest um, community space where I think is the firehouse next door. So this would give them like a little more room and they wouldn't necessarily have to use, um, you know, the firehouse for, you know, if there was a big community meeting or something like that. And um, yeah, so, you know, it was interesting just seeing how excited everyone was about this, you know, they were, just talking about it and for some of these people who have been you know involved in this for you know a number of years um you know uh, kind of a i guess a, from their perspective a real sense of accomplishment to kind of see this uh getting close to the finish line now and sure. um so, so yeah um that's kind of the kind of the, well, you, you, the I, I just the 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 argument for it not that you need an argument but the justification for it is 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 and you touched on it joe is 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 having a facility where kids can learn how to swim on an island that's surrounded by water and i mean and there's a real public safety element to it that um i i didn't realize you know when i first came to long island that that was important but because you feel you feel like you know there's so much water around kids are going to learn to swim anyway but no i guess you got to teach them to swim first before you let them go you know crazy on on, on the beach and stuff and i know that argument was used um you know in proposals for a a pool in, in southampton that's you know still being considered yeah the, the supervisor made a point of uh you know kind of throwing throwing kids in the bay to learn how to swim and you know that's not necessarily the easy, easiest uh, way to learn how to swim especially yeah. uh you know you have a pretty small window of time in the summer to kind of really utilize uh, that body of water and the east hampton hurricanes just became no, state right yeah yeah the east hampton East Hampton swim program uh, at the at the Y there has been really successful over the years. Yeah. They've they've been competitive. But I was going to say that it's pretty remarkable the dearth of swimming uh, facilities on the South Fork. It, it it really is sort of surprising. I think uh, when you take a step back and look at it, this would be a fairly big project, no question. Um, and provide that for Montauk. You've mentioned that East Hampton has the Y, so they they sort of have a facility. Southampton doesn't really have a facility like that, but Bill, I, I know there's been some conversation about the the STAR program uh, putting in a facility uh, off of County Road 39, but that's right. run into some real fairly significant community opposition. And I think the biggest problem they face is just fundraising. It's, a, it's an expensive project. Yeah, and and location and and um, and for for years before that, um, they you know the people in in the western half of town have also clamored for a pool. You've got uh, the nice new pool at the community college in 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 Northampton, and when that came in, people were excited about that. But that can be a pretty long 
drive for for some people. It's um, kind of surprising that there aren't more public pools. I, I think it's actually really across the island too. If you look, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I can remember you know, not that long ago, uh, a friend of mine was, you know, his daughter wanted to go swimming one day. You know, you know, wasn't necessarily like you know a summer swim day, and so he was looking for a pool and was you know i think ended up having to drive to like nassau county to find a pool that was actually open and uh-huh. you know you, you didn't have to have some kind of membership to use or whatever they were just, you know open to the public and uh so yeah i mean it could be hard hard to find um you know pool and as he said on the east end you think there would be with you know the proximity to water and all the beaches you know you would think um there would have been more uh public pools that were options for people out here but um yeah Flip side of it is, uh, you know, this is a great project for Montauk, and these kinds of projects really do provide a quality of life in these communities. And I think of SYS in Southampton, which doesn't have a pool, but but provides a lot of opportunities um, for exercise and and different programs, and is really considered a, a real jewel of the community. So good good for Montauk. I think this will be exciting they've got a lot of work to do still and i think they do still have some fundraising to do to get it done but uh the fact that a groundbreaking may be in the near future uh is really exciting for montauk so tip of the hat to them for that yeah i will, I will say real quick too as you said um they did make that point that the fundraising efforts are still ongoing as you said um so mm-hmm. you know it's a kind of a celebration but they also want to make that point too i think that um you know if people were hoping to, you know, or, or were willing to donate, they they are, are still looking for donations. And um, you know, as I said, as I said uh, earlier, it's a two phase projects. So I think the hope is, you know, they have they can kind of get phase one going, then hopefully have as that's being done, can still generate enough funds to get to seamlessly go into phase two. But uh, you know, obviously that's uh, to be determined. Yeah, exciting stuff for Montauk. Good tip of the hat to them. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister of Newsday, and Brian Cosgrove of WLIW. Uh, Denise, uh, some bad news this week out of Calverton. You know, we were talking before we went on air. Uh, we are grateful that in on the East End in general, gun violence is a fairly rare thing we see it from time to time it flares up occasionally but we don't have a regular occurrence of gun violence but you had a particularly um startling incident uh, up your way this week what happened yeah um there was apparently a fight between two groups of um teens slash young adults um according to police and um one of them, according to the Suffolk County Homicide um, Police, pulled a gun and fired um, fired his gun and shot and killed um, a 15-year-old boy that was involved mm-hmm. in it. And um, uh, this happened at uh, the Calverton Hills Condominium Complex, which is off of uh, Route 24 near the... Um, Suffolk, uh, I'm sorry, near the um, Long Island Expressway. Um, and, uh, you know, people scattered. His family apparently drove the boy to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Mm. Um, and this was, uh, you know, 
sad. It's so sad. Did did police make an arrest in that case yet? Not yet. Not as far as we know. Um, So this was, I think, Wednesday afternoon. Um, They are looking for any information. Um, The kid was a a student at Riverhead High School. Um, And uh, it's just, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. We don't know if there were, um, you know, there were gangs involved or or what. Um, You know, it's the, the shocking thing about it is that on any given day in a community, you're going to have disagreements between kids and you're going to have disagreements between young adults and you're going to have, you're going to have groups of, of people have, have their, their, their fights and things like that. When you introduce guns into the mix, it, it just makes the whole thing so much more volatile and the risk of, of, uh, of a real tragedy occurring. I mean, I, I, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I, I suspect that what we'll find out here is that it's going to be uh, another young life ruined because of this, you know, when, when an arrest is made that, that, you know, it's, it's without the gun, you know, maybe, maybe it just, it becomes an incident that passes, but instead it becomes an incident it ends one life. And, uh, probably will destroy a second life uh it it really is a tragedy all the way around and Uh, the fact that we're talking about teenagers makes it this follows an incident uh, like a week or so ago where a kid was stabbed um in after or during uh, a fight also a group of uh, it sounds like a much smaller group but um a group of two groups of kids um, behind um, the shopping center uh, on Route 58 that kind of backs up to Riverhead High School's property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that kid had needed medical attention and went to the hospital. I don't think he was admitted, but, you know, it's like, um, it's scary. I mean, you know, and, and a, a kid, you know, this week lost his life. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are, Plenty of uh, layers of uh, reasons for whatever, for what happened that day or what has happened in this boy's life that um, led him to that place and that time. But, um, you know, it's a terrible tragedy. And, you know, we don't know anything about the gun, obviously, but, um, you know, there is a sense among a lot of people that they are too easily obtained. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's that battle, you know, again, over and over again. And, you know, it it brings it home here to our community when, you know, someone takes a gun, fires it and kills a teenager. Um, You know, to, to, to the West of us, we, we hear reports from time to time, about uh violence that's related to gangs i'm not so sure that that's what's at the heart of of a lot of these incidents i mean i you know that's what an an explanation that a lot of people rush to to try and to try and make sense of it but i don't i think it's so much more complicated than that joe uh, joe it's not just gun it's not just gang violence uh 
that that leads to these incidents, right? I mean, this, this is when a gun is introduced in in many circumstances, it seems to create uh, just a just a whole new level of tragedy. Yeah, you know, this said, um, you know, we, there's no immediate indication that this was gang uh, related, um, so you know, we don't know that. Um, so, you know, you would think maybe this is just, uh, you know, a group of teenagers get into an argument or, you know, who knows how stupid of a thing as teenagers do. And, and you know, that, that that can happen. Sure, that happens. And that should end with just, you know, maybe, you know, a few shoves and, and you know, maybe somebody gets knocked to the ground and, and everyone gets up and, you know, well, dusts themselves off and goes their separate ways. And, and that's how, you know kids sometimes um you know get into scuffles or whatever but uh, you know once you introduce a weapon um and a gun and you know somebody pulls that out and thinks they're you know all tough and and all of a sudden you know doesn't um think of the of the ramifications of pulling that trigger and and, and what that means when you when you're taking someone's life and then as you said you know there was with multiple people there involved in this fight, I mean, you would assume that the police would be able to, you know, talk to enough people to, you know, narrow down who shot uh, the weapon uh, soon enough. Um, but so you said that there'll be another life ruined when they make an arrest, and 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 for what, um, you know, to win some fight over over what, and um, mm. you know, it didn't yeah, it doesn't have to be about gangs, you know, just anybody gets a gun, and 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 one argument can turn. Can turn deadly um, in an instant, and and we don't know, um, you know, what was the shooter even intending to hit this, uh, you know, boy? Or we, you know, you know, he could have just been running away and got hit with, um, you know, uh, a bullet that wasn't even necessarily intended for him, right? He might have been shooting at someone else. Well, we don't know, or just um, so. Yeah, it's you know. a great, it's a great point, Joe. We don't really know that much about. Uh, the details surrounding the shooting. So, uh, you know, I guess maybe it's that we put a pin in this and we wait until we find out more and and see, you know, where the community goes from here to, to deal with it. But Denise, I know that's a story you'll be you'll be on for in the coming weeks. And uh, we hope for a quick resolution to it. Uh, the uncertainty of that stuff is is also damaging to a community. So uh, and, but bottom fingers- line is bottom line is there's just too many guns. Um, and, and just uh, and they're just too available. And if if kids, you know, have guns, it, it's it, it's just some something that this you know the, nationally we keep talking about guns and gun violence, and it just doesn't seem like anything ever gets done to limit the number of guns on the street and and the accessibility of guns for 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 young people. And I don't want to stand on a soap soapbox, but. How many kids have to die before something gets done? I think that's a fair point that uh, we we will be talking about again, unfortunately, in the future, I think. Uh, I do want to change gears here and talk about um, a a recent incident, a a story that you guys did, Joe, um, about Shelter Island. And uh, you didn't do the story, actually. It was our friend Vera Vera Chinise who, who did the story. Yeah, um, friend, but, friend of the program. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, she wrote about a, a woman on Shelter Island um, who was involved very early in uh, the the attempt to try and put some higher quality uh, septic systems in 
to try and uh, deal with the effluent that goes out from from properties. Uh, she was an early adopter, and that ends up being uh, not to her advantage, right? Yeah. So as you said, you know, there's been this um, effort in recent years for, you know, particularly on the East End, for people to try to uh, upgrade to these um, advanced uh, septic systems that can reduce um, the nitrogen that goes into the groundwater, and um, you know, will hopefully greatly. Um, uh, Helping the environment out here and water quality and and all that, and um, but putting in these septic systems is costly up front, right? So um, you know it's expensive. So um, the, there's been different programs to try to uh, help um, offset some of those costs. And um, the woman on Shelter Island, um, who's um, the center of this story that ran a few days ago, uh, was one of the first 40 people in the county to install a system after this grant program launched um, in 2017. She got a $10,000 grant through the county, uh, as well as $5,000 uh, from the town. And um, so, you know, this has been kind of an ongoing story in recent years, but essentially what happened was people then who uh, were installing these systems um, would later find out that they were being taxed on them. And they were getting these uh, big bills that they weren't expecting and kind of you know saying like well what the heck you know i'm kind of trying to do what's right here you know i got this um you know money for this system i wasn't expecting that i would now have to get a you know a bill attached onto that grant and um so that's been kind of ongoing for a few years and and um so recently the irs uh, reversed a ruling um to basically um kind of eliminate that and um, so that was you know, widely celebrated. And um, but as this woman on Shelter Island just recently found out that because she was one of the first um, to get it, that she wasn't in this three year window of of, um, of you know, the uh, accessibility to, to get the uh, refund. And so she's she finding out that she still um, is getting owed, um, it still has this um, this tax and. Um, so you know now it's like she's kind of saying like well, you know again like what the you know what the heck I you know I, I was one of the first ones trying to do um, what's do the right, right for thing. the environment and and yeah right doing the right thing and then you know they reverse this decision but you know because I did it so soon you know not now I'm excluded like how does that make sense and um, so you know it seems like there could be you know, you know at least a few dozen other people that could be in a similar situation the county says they only know of. Um, of her so far, but um, as you said, it, you know, seemingly it would be some others out there, and um, you know, so she's working with some of the um, some offices, uh, government offices now to see you know what they can do about it. I know, uh, the Senator Schumer's office is involved, and uh, I think um, uh, what, what, Congressman. What was, um, what, what what was her tax liability on that? Do we know? I don't mean to put you on the spot if you don't have it right in front of you, but uh, yeah, let me see here. Um, just to recap, too, for, for people who might not know what we're talking about, what had happened was the county had awarded grants to, to make it affordable for people. And, and essentially, the grants largely paid for this switchover uh, to these new uh, high-tech septic systems. And people were welcomed. They, they, they welcomed this opportunity to, to make the change. A lot of people, and I'm sure this woman was one of them, we're eager to to contribute to in an environmental sense to to make the switch over, and because of the grants, it made it affordable to do it. But then the county, one county official, decided to go to the IRS and ask if this should be taxable income. The IRS's initial ruling was that it was, and so a lot of people got 
very big uh, and, and unexpected tax bills related to this money. It took some time, but the IRS finally reversed course on that. But yeah, it seems really unfair to punish the earliest adopters just because of a technicality. So yeah, so in her case, so she had submitted a refund once once the IRS, um, you know, re- kind of reversed that decision. She put in for a refund of between uh, two to three thousand dollars was what uh, the figure was, and she was hoping mm-hmm. to get refunded. To, you know, she had gotten taxed on earlier, uh, and um, and then she learned she was not eligible because she was outside that three year statute of limitations for the amended filing. So it's <laughs> unbelievable, and it's worth yeah. pointing out too that in some cases. The people who were taxed this way, it bumped them into a new tax bracket. And so the impact can be even higher, uh, you know, on certain families that took advantage of this. I, the, and, the, and, the, and the impact on, on the environment was great because, I mean, you had, like you said, Joe, you had all these people that were like, OK, well, I can get this done for for, for next to nothing. And, and the programs were doing really well. The 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 county and and both towns, I think, were 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 offering rebates as as well. And and you saw those numbers starting to rise. And then all of a sudden, this tax issue came up, and those programs just completely nosedived. And nobody wanted to do it anymore because they're you know they didn't want to have to pay tax on these grants. The whole idea was that you know that the grants would 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 help. The, you know, the, the the East End in particular to to get these new septics installed and 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 and, and people are, are now wary of it, understandably. So that's the tragedy yeah, here. Yeah. Too, right. I think is that this program with the septic, uh, you know, the assistance and the idea of moving more of these since we don't have large septic systems, large uh treatment plants serving a lot of the community, moving more people into these kinds of systems would really be beneficial in a lot of ways. And and unfortunately, these kind of early issues with the program just discourage a lot of people from even looking into it. I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, when these issues with the taxes and, and other things came up, anybody who had sort of an, a passing interest that might have been willing to to at least find out if they were eligible, uh, I think backed away. And and I don't think the towns, the towns, the irony, of course, now being the towns have plenty of money to spend on septic uh, upgrades. They can use CPF money now. And there is a conversation taking place about maybe using more of the CPF money than they can at the moment for septic issues. But you can have all the money in the world if people aren't willing to apply for it and make the change. It's not going to help. Well, that was the problem with the rebate program. I I, I felt from the beginning is that the homeowner had to come up with the cash initially, and and then you know, and then hope that the county and town rebates afterwards, um, you know, would would pay for the project rather than the you know rather than the municipalities coming forward and and saying, you know, here's the money, go go put the system in. I think that would be a much easier way to do it. Well, I think that's what they're looking to accomplish with this uh, proposal, if it gets passed in the state budget bill, um, to allow voters in Suffolk County to vote on whether or not to add another one-eighth cent um, sales tax um, to fund those systems. 
essentially right. like 70 percent of the money generated would would fund those systems for people so that yet, people yet have another, to dig into their own savings or whatever to be able to afford another it potential they're, funding they're source yeah yeah and it, i mean i think that that we have to remember too that that this is really the the most efficient way of solving the septic issue on on the on the east end in general it's just going to be very hard to solve it with with sewage treatment plants uh, we have a lot of individual septic systems and you know, a lot of those systems are just tanks and a lot of those tanks are are failing and 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 leaking and and it just seems like such a no brainer but i i just worry about the long term impact of all of these issues that we've had pop up with the program, um, something to worry about. Um, we have a couple minutes left and I want to take a, a few minutes to have a conversation about affordable housing. Mm. Uh, this week we had uh, a ruling come down uh, that through two of Sag Harbor Village's uh, new laws that they had enacted on the subject uh, through them out, uh, a local organization, Save Sag Harbor, had challenged those laws and a judge agreed that they were put in place without uh, the necessary sort of studies being done in advance about the environmental impact. Brian, we talk all the time about affordable housing. Um, this is where the rubber hits the road. And I think it's going to be really tough. Anytime it's, it feels like it's an uphill battle to get anytime there's a proposal that realistically does something about affordable housing, it feels like there is a local opposition to it that somehow stops it. And I'm not defending those those laws may have been flawed and it may have been a perfectly appropriate thing to challenge them. But it's just hard to do this on, on a on a case by case basis. Right. I mean, you know, everybody wants more affordable housing, but nobody seems to want to actually ap approve the projects that will get it done. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of things I, that are and not to. How can you put this? I think, you know, first off, nobody wants to see the equity in their real estate go down, but they want to be altruistic at the same time. And I think, you know, they just so what happens is they want to show that they want to do something. But when like you put it, when the rubber hits the road, it just it gets no traction. And because I think of a combination of things first, it's like, you know, it's just a blip. I mean, anything. It's not really going to make a substantial difference because there's only so much real estate out here and we need people to do, you know, service industry trades and things like that, that I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's um, I, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I just don't know if it's uh, going to be doable at all. I feel like we we need to make sure that the the officials who are putting the rules in place really take extra effort to get it right too, because as this demonstrates, um, you know, you if you it's if you take one step forward and two steps back all the time, uh, it's a problem that's not going to go away. And so we need we 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 need uh, best efforts. And I, I just I'm not sure we're making any progress on. Uh, on the issue, uh, it's going to be the primary issue that we have to be concerned about in the next uh, 10 years or so. I, I mean, it's unfortunate, Zach Harbor. And, and look, look, basically, this was a technicality The the you know, the the judge agreed that that the village didn't you know follow to the letter. Um, 
you know, the the state environmental quality review act regulations. There should have been a, a, an environmental study that, that that wasn't completed, and we saw kind of the same thing happen in in Hampton Bays with the downtown overlay district law that that got overturned um, on the same measure. So 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 yeah. So the, so the village could then now go and and do the secret study and try to repass this stuff. But you have to wonder if you know if if the momentum is is gone and if they feel like um like you said joe that everything's going to be challenged do you you know do, do you even bother to to go back to the drawing board get that study done and put these laws back up if you feel like every time you do that um somebody's going to shoot it down i think that's that's what's really unfortunate here we're really did they, did they or, oh, go ahead, i was just gonna ask did, did they originally did the village originally um conclude that they just didn't need a secret review based on their analysis or did they just I think they didn't provide an, enough of an, an analysis for the judges right though yeah I, I I think it I think they de I'd have to to go back and look at it but I think they deemed it like a type one or or, or something like that and and the judge said that that they should have looked more more at look more closely at it I think yeah, it I mean, was that's sort the thing of, out of here right like everybody you know if you don't cross uh dot the eyes dot your eyes cross your t's right yeah that's, yeah <laughs> um, you know somebody's gonna somebody's gonna be able to find the um you know the error and and take it to court and and, and no matter what it is somebody out here is yeah. gonna have the time and money and resources to be able to definitely uh, happened and i i think it's gonna cripple a lot of the efforts it's gonna be crucial that that uh as we move forward we'll, we'll be talking about this subject for many many episodes to come for now we're out of time uh so i want to thank denise civiletti of riverhead local joe workmeister of newsday and brian cosgrove of wliwfm thank you guys for joining us this morning thank you. Uh, i also thank you. want to thank bill my co-host bill sutton and i'm joe shaw and we'll be back uh next week with another edition of behind the headlines thank you everybody.